Welcome to the Hashtag Call to Scene podcast, the show focused on the strategic disruption of the status quo in technical organizations, communities, and events. Hello, everyone, and welcome to today's episode of the Hashtag Call to Scene podcast. Today's guest is really, it's really weird because I reached out to her after I saw her speak at um, Open Source Bridge in um, Portland in 2017 for my last podcast, not even this podcast. And so I'm happy to say two years later, I have her. See, you have to be patient when you're doing this work. So, <laughs> so I'd like to um, have everyone welcome um, Nicole Sanchez. Nicole, please introduce yourself to the audience. Hey, everybody. I'm Nicole, and I'm the CEO and founder of VIA Consulting. I've been doing work on organizational culture, specifically around diversity, equity, and inclusion professionally for 25 years, mostly in tech. Thanks for having me. Oh, well, thank you for coming. So we're going to start as we always do. Why is it important to cause a scene and how are you causing a scene? Yeah, well, I love the hashtag, as you know. Um, it's important to cause a scene in, from my experience because I'm a, I'm a short brown woman was a girl <laughs> and a short brown girl doesn't really get a lot of airtime unless she demands it. And I think I learned from an early age, my parents were so great at really bucking a lot of the norms that they had been taught about, like be seen, not heard. You know, they really said, look, you're going to have to advocate for yourself because there aren't going to be a lot of people who will. And so when you need to be heard, there are some points where you need to cause a scene. Otherwise, you know, people will just steamroll you. And so for me, it was entirely about needing to be heard, even if it was about getting my needs met, even if it was about an injustice, even if it was just about raising my hand in class, um, causing a scene meant people couldn't ignore me. Um, how am I causing a scene now is, <laughs> I think I might always be causing a scene. I don't know how to not cause a scene, you know what I mean? <laughs> um, you know, I think, uh, I, I think in tech we have to talk about, we have to be willing to talk about the things that nobody's going to talk about. And if there isn't uh, some subset of us, I think, Kim, you're a great person. One of your former guests, Marco Rogers, is a great person for that, you know, there's a whole cohort of folks, many of whom I, I consider to be friends, who want to say the truths about what's going on in our industry. And um, somehow we, we stepped into this sector that says, all right, only say the good things. You don't get to say anything about the bad things because we're a magical, ma Silicon Valley is a magical, magical place where everybody gets every meal at work and there are, you know, dentists on your campus and there's and it's like ps <laughs> the custodians are making less than you know whatever and you know they're, they're consistently vulnerable I, I you know i usually like to start with the folks when we talk about some of the problems in tech and where we need to make us cause a scene are with some of the workers that really we really don't get talked about a lot at all which is the gig economy folks, the custodial staff, the food service staff, the security staff, these are often folks who are not even employees of the tech companies they're, they're serving. 
um, are serving inside, get no benefits, no guarantee of vacation days, nothing, and get get absolutely steamrolled, like we said, by this giant sector that just wants to put out to the world that everything that we're basically Disneyland. You know, this is just this is just Disneyland. Tech is amazing. You can come and do anything, and it's like, well, tech is amazing, and I do love being in tech. And I do love the promise of technology, but let's be serious now about what some of our of our problems are. And so I think right now where I'm busy causing a scene is in saying things that, that we don't often get to say to make sure folks have the full truth before they either get into the sector or so they don't feel gaslit when they're in the sector. And then, you know, fundamentally, so we can, we can change the sector. Well, I took a few notes and um, I love the, my, my, you know, I, I yeah, I thankfully I had one, the, the parents who also were not um, fans of be seen and not heard because that wouldn't have worked for me anyway. Yeah. They would have constantly been um, <laughs> um, having to deal with that. I remember um, being in school because I went to a Catholic, Catholic schools most of my life. And I was in school, I had to be fourth or fifth grade or something like that. And they would call my mom all the time and she's like, okay, hold up. If Kim could talk before she could walk. If you could shut her up, then you let me because And don't call me for this anymore. You know what I'm saying? It's like... It's, I know, you're she, right. You know, yeah. There's, there's, are, are you engaging? And see, that's, a, again, because, oh, that's so about white supremacy mm. and, and all these other things because I was not fitting what they said. And I didn't know as a child that I was actively rebuking yep. <laughs> all these standards. Yep. Um, I didn't have a clue. I just knew that I was bored. My friend across the room, hey, what's up? Yeah. You know, it was like, um, and 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 it never dawned on me because it, it was never positioned that it's the systems that were at fault. It was always a personal feeling in myself and I need to control myself and blah, blah, blah. Um, and thankfully, I can tell you, thankfully, Ritalin and such wasn't a, a thing when I was growing up because I definitely, I know a doctor would have put me on that because I remember being maybe three or four being at the doctors and being too small to get on the, the table. So, you know, you had the little step ladder and just running up and down the step ladder. And he was like, oh, okay, you know, she has a lot of energy. That's what it was, but you know, a lot of energy. Um, and so, yeah. And then I, the other note I said is just being in the space, just us being causes a scene. And people don't get that. Just showing up every day is a scene causer for a lot of people. It's just like, oh, oh so you back? <laughs> you back for more? Oh, we, we, didn't, we didn't completely shut you up and shut you out? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like, damn, they keep, what? <laughs> Shit, she back? Okay. And then it's just, um, yeah, and then just the, and I love how you, we started with um, the most vulnerable. Um, are those individuals who are outsourced of these great altruistic companies who are changing the world for the better, but yet will not hire these individuals to be on their staff to make a living wage. They outsource all of this stuff. Um, they don't have a voice. They can't unionize all these things, but yet we still want to um, um, have this tout this, Oh, we're just so great. And it reminds me because I'm getting ready for um, my year, a hashtag calls it seeing year in review um, podcast. And so last year I did quotes by um, Zora Neale Hurston. And this year I'm going to do quotes by um, Toni Morrison. 
And um, one, I'm just looking, scanning, because one of the quotes that I picked up on right away, and this is just speaks to that. I just want to see if I can find it. So I pulled us. Oh, definitions belong to the definers, not to the defined. Mm, I mean, <laughs> that that hits me right in whatever the <laughs> deepest nerve, the like deepest recesses of my heart. I, I also didn't realize this. And, and I went a different way with my schooling in that, you know, my parents were very clear that they thought that education was going to be the way to everything I wanted. And they weren't wrong. But the part that they did in that they did buy into, which was, you know, complicated, was that that was some panacea, right? That education. So do really well in school. And I have three sisters and we we all went to college and, you know, my parents did not make much money at all. And so they were like, look, your brains are going to have to get you out of here. And so we sh- we were always encouraged to sharpen our mind, sharpen our mind, sharpen our mind, be the fastest with an answer, the most thorough answer, the most interesting answer. And you had to do that in every subject. And, and, you know, I would ask my dad, it's like that, that, that <laughs> the famous scene in scandal that every, I think every woman of color, maybe, mm. uh, uh, you know, said when her dad's telling her, you got to be twice as good. Well, my dad was a math guy. And so he's like, okay, look, you have to be twice as good to be seen as half. You have, you have to be twice as good to be seen as half, which means you have to be four times as good if you want to be equals. And so that is not saying I'm four times as good at, at anything, but it was that mentality. And I didn't realize until much later that the problem was with the definer, like you said, mm-hmm. that that's what smart looked like. Mm-hmm. Because I knew there were kids around me who were all kinds of smart and weren't getting into gate and weren't getting into, and were getting suspended for their rambunctiousness or whatever. And we know the rates of of, of uh, African-American kids in public schools and how they get suspended and, and how they get detention at higher rates because there's something else. The problem is with the definer, not with the kids. The problem is with this, this structure that imposed this weird um, white Anglo-Saxon Protestant traditions on us that were like completely antithetical to what was happening at home. The thing that gets me though is whiteness doesn't even uh, hold up to this standard. So this oh, is never, never, this, never, this, never. So this is like <laughs> we're held to this 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 impossible standard and then mediocre whiteness just gets to pass by and is seen as genius. I'm just like I that is I we have been gaslit our entire lives. Um, if you go to college, yep. that's like, a, that's like a, that's you know, right. go to college, this was, this will be your ticket out. No, it's not. Um, there is no guarantee of no. a ticket out when there's white supremacy. If you're not white, there is absolutely no guarantee. And the ones of uh, the, the few of us, I mean, yeah, we're in the millions, but the few of us who, who are, who have platforms, mm-hmm. who have been causing the scenes just by being We've done it exactly counter in direct opposition <laughs> to mm. what the status quo said was going to be successful. Mm-hmm. And there is, I can look back on my life and say, I'm where I am because I've always been a rule challenger, a rule breaker, yeah. a, 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 yeah. a, like, why is that? Why, why do you do say that? Why, why can't I? Don't go in the woods, Kim. 
my mom is something in them woods she don't want me to see. So, so you know I gotta what? go see it. I'm gonna go see it anyway. <laughs> All she's gonna do is give me a whipping. I got a whipping before I can deal with that. So I would make a calculate. I would calculate. <laughs> You're like, hmm, is it worth it? Yep, that trade off is great. Yes, exactly, yep. exactly, literally. I mean, I would say, like, I would always, even when I was a high school teacher, I would say, I would rather have a student who who decided, you know what, I'm gonna stay late at this party and calculate <laughs> the. The, the, you know, the risk management of it, they'd yep. rather say, you know, yep. I'm staying late because everybody else is staying late. And, and I was that kid. I was that kid like, okay, um, okay, if I do this, what's the <laughs> chance? Of, okay, so there's a chance that that's going to happen. And then, and then I'm like, oh, okay. Well, I've already looked at what I think are the other variables and then make a, make a, and I've been doing that my whole life. So people want to act like I, mm-mm. Someone gave me something. No, this is what I, when I came into tech five years ago, I realized I had some skills that this community mm-hmm. needed and mm-hmm. I was not mm-hmm. going to let it define me again. Oh, this is going to be a theme. I was not going to let it define my value. And so that's why I mm-hmm. spent 2017 speaking at 19 conferences. Cause I was like, you, I'm going to tell you my value. And I've been doing it ever since. Hashtag cause the scene came out of my frustration of again, whiteness trying to tell me and I didn't understand it at the time because to me it was just like what is going on why is this industry saying welcome 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 but putting up every barrier in my face and saying it's me what is going on um but I have had the wherewithal and the luxury and the privilege to to create us my world so that okay I'm not going to work for somebody else cuz they're going <laughs> to I don't want them to have to oh, yes. have any control over this I'm not going you know all, all all these variables that I had to figure out for myself so that I could be in this space and to be talking to you right now this didn't just happen this has been bucking white supremacy even when I didn't know that's what I was doing yep yeah and I, you know I want to add something to that there are two related evils here. One is white supremacy. But the thing I find as a non-Black POC is I know that I am afforded the opportunity to say things that my Black friend might not be able to, that my Black colleague might not be able to. And that's do we swear on your podcast? Oh, God, yeah, yeah. Okay, fuck that yeah. is... Fuck, that fuck, is... Fuck, fuck, yes, fuck, 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 yes. I mean, to me, sometimes that is the, the most fucked up thing to watch is that I will carry the banner of something that a Black woman already said. Right. Mm -hmm. And I'll go, wait a minute. They just dismissed her. Let me try something. Now I'm not white, but I'm white adjacent. Right. Mm -hmm. And, and light skinned Latina, they're like, well, she's less scary. Right. Mm -hmm. About me. So I say it again. And then, and then sometimes I get ignored too. Right. Then some white person's got to bring it up, got to, you know, carry that banner. But occasionally, and more often now, as I get older, someone goes, that's a really good point. And -hmm. then I go, yeah, she just said it, right? So I'm constantly making sure I'm referencing the the original, you know, thinker or sayer or scene causer on on a on a concept. But anti-blackness, I find as a non-black person of color, I am also trying to navigate in ways that I didn't ask to do. Yeah. I, that's just stupid. I just want yeah. everybody's, I really want everybody's ideas to be taken at, at face value and, and be valued and look at it and we can all hold it up and we don't have to get incredibly distracted by, 
our own biases. And people don't understand. Well, they they choose not to understand why I'm very clear when I say call a thing a thing. When you mean black women, don't say black women, women don't say women of color. When you say black people, don't say people of color. That's because the minority. um, um, The what is it? The uh, minority myth. Oh, yeah. The myth of the model, model minority. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah model yeah. minority myth. Yeah. Yeah. It's a thing. And it has burned all of us. It has um, burned black all women. of us. Even, um, it, and, yeah. and I see it. And this is why um, it's so funny when I when I get where I am not moving, where I am. I because people I'm so discounted that people don't understand that I'm a researcher at heart. I'm an mm-hmm. educator at heart. Right. And so if I've said something, it's because I've thought about it. Unlike many people on Twitter and elsewhere (laughs) who just have some gut reaction or something, you know, they're in their feelings. I have fundamentally sat down and processed and um, come up with a, okay, how do I want to articulate this? Mm -hmm. this, I mean, I've done all of that. So when Mm -hmm. I open my mouth, I've, trust me, I've done that, Mm -hmm. but it gets so discounted so that I now, it's just a point where I don't budge. And they think it's because I'm being obstinate or angry. <laughs> no, it's because I refuse, again, to allow you to define me. I yes. said what I said, I and said that's what, what I the said. fuck I meant. <laughs> I don't, and this comes from, okay, I come from two black this. men. Yeah. My grandfather and my father. There was never a time that you had to, you know, they weren't passive aggressive in any way. What they said is what they meant. That's right. And that's I, remember, right. I remember my dad said something, and I was like, um... So what do you really mean? He said, I said what I really meant. And I and I really didn't think about that because my grandfather was the same, was the same way. People say it's simple, but they make it, but you know, with white supremacy, or whatever, they they throw it off as simple as in simple-minded. No, right. it's simplistic. No, no, no. It's it genius. <laughs> it is. So when Kim says something, I, that's what the fuck I mean. I don't, I, I'm not, I, I don't want you reading shit into it because you read stuff into it, you're going to fuck that up. Yeah. I need you to be very clear. Now, if you have questions, that's fine. But trust me, I know what I'm saying. And so people take it as, oh, you're just being, you know, like, the, like I have the shirt, fuck civility. I'm saying fuck civility for a reason. I am not civil in situations that you want to quiet me. You want to silence me for your feelings when I, and, and we're not even talking about the thing anymore because now we got to talk about your feelings. This is what I mean when I talk about these very unfamiliar to me white Anglo-Saxon Protestant norms that we inherited in our systems, which value politeness and civility above truth. I don't get it. I don't get it. And and I and I think and I I train managers a lot and coach leaders a lot. And they're like, well, how do I tell a person that I'm not satisfied with their you know, their work performance. I'm like, you say I'm not satisfied with your work performance, but then you back it up with the facts. And they're like, yeah, but I'm, I'm going to offend somebody. I'm going to, you're, you're offending people by withholding information from them. Like stop withholding information that is important for people to have. Just say what you mean. Everyone in the hashtag called the scene community shares the same common beliefs based on a set of four specific guiding principles. One, tech is not neutral, nor is it apolitical. Two, intention without strategy is chaos. Three, lack of inclusion is a risk and increasingly a crisis management issue. And lastly, but most importantly, four, we must prioritize the most vulnerable. 
To find out more about the guiding principles and adding them to your Twitter profile banner, please visit hashtag cause That is important for people to have. Just say what you mean. And that's a double-edged sword, though, because if you're a black woman. Oh, yeah. Oh, that, and, I, don't, and, I don't have and, to and, do that coaching <laughs> black women. Because <laughs> if you're a black woman, the, 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 and I keep bringing this up, the, the, the lens that someone has to go to to create an email for a subordinate. Oh, oh if, if, so it's a, if it's a white person, just so their feelings <laughs> aren't hurt. So I, you fuck up on the job. I spent 30 minutes creating a email to try to tell you so your feelings don't get hurt. But yet and still, no matter what I say, how I say it, the matter words, the whatever, you're still offended. And now we're in HR because you got offended. Because you think I'm being aggressive. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So this is where my, where I lay at. <laughs> I'm not going to be the only one uncomfortable. So if you are uncomfortable, then I've done my damn job. And I'm going to do everything I can to make you even more uncomfortable. This is what people don't understand. I want you to be as uncomfortable as possible. Because until you become uncomfortable, you don't do shit. And, you, and, I, and knowing that, that's why I created my life this way. Because I intentionally wanted to get you uncomfortable. So that you can start reflecting. You can start thinking, well, fuck. Hmm. And if you don't start reflecting well, fuck, then I'm going to make you, my job is just to make you uncomfortable. Then this is a game for me at this point. So I'm just yeah. like, oh, okay, let me yeah. sit back and enjoy this ride as you implode <laughs> because you don't have these skills. You've never had, the, right. you've never had to develop the resiliency and coping skills that black women have. I, I certainly have not. And anybody who isn't a black woman has not. And when I go in and, I, and I'm working with companies, I tell them, you have got to design your systems, your culture, your norms, your communication for the most marginalized person. If she's okay, then the rest of the people in your company you. are going to be okay. And we'll take it, we'll take it another step further. We're like, look, if black trans women who have the yes. lowest life expectancy by race and gender at about 30 yes. years old right now, yes. right? Due to violence, either self-inflicted or, or via homicide. Lowest life expectancy, most vulnerable by race and gender in our society. If she is comfortable in your company, everybody else is okay. Everybody else is. They'll thrive. And that's the whole, that's that is the, why I created the guiding principles, the hashtag cause the guiding principles. They start with, first of all, this goes back to your, your original point. Tech is not neutral and we need, need to just own that. This, uh, this altruistic kumbaya right. bullshit is harming people. So that's the first thing. <laughs> and then for, from, from that, we go into strategy. I mean, intention without strategy is chaos. That's just it. Because your intention, if you don't have it, you're going to, the impact is what all that matters. Then we flow into lack of inclusion is a risk management issue. I'm with you. And then that flows into the most important thing. Let's prioritize the most vulnerable. Because when the most vulnerable is, 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 is prioritized, then your lack of inclusion is less than a risk management issue. Then you have a strategy which doesn't call, which minimizes pain and, and, and impact. And then we understand that tech is not neutral and we act as if we understand that. Okay, when you when is Sirius XM going to give you your own station or whatever? Whatever comes next, oh. I don't know. What, I don't know what your goals are, but I'm just I like I'm like realizing I'm I'm your guest, but I'm just like closing my eyes and listening to the sermon. Man, <laughs> I myself. tell you, my, my on my bucket list is to speak at the World Economics Forum. Ooh, and did everybody hear that? Get Kim Creighton to the World Economics Forum. Because um, the book that I'm writing next year is um, Redefining Capitalism Without White Supremacy. 
Um, and the subtitle is, and I always forget this, um, give me a second. <laughs> um, so it's redefining capitalism without white supremacy. And the subtitle is the economics of being anti-racist. Okay. I'm ready to read it. I'll read, or <laughs> consider me in. I'm going to read, I want to read this book. Okay, I'm going to read it great. now. And, and so, and so this is again, where people discount me. They think that Twitter <laughs> is the thing that I do. No, Twitter Twitter is a means to an end. That is not my strategy. It's a part of an overall strategy. I want to fundamentally change how tech businesses are built and how they function and how they who they prioritize and how, and, and and to minimize harm because tech touches everything. And once we get this right in tech, every other industry is going to have to change. So I don't have to t- deal with law nope, they will that is antiquated. Right. I don't have That's to deal right. with medicine right. that is antiquated. And we're we're gonna right. force all this stuff. So when we like going back to your the gig employees, the 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 custodians, the 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 food service industry, all these people, once they have we figured this out in, in Google and in, in Amazon and these other companies like these hospitals that are doing the same thing, you're not gonna be able to do that because now they're gonna be like, Oh, there's an example right there. We know how to do this. We have something because representation matters. So I oh, I know how to do this. Yeah. You know, I, I, I stepped out of tech for, for a short period of time and I tried my hand in some other industries. This is why I come back to tech because it's like how I feel about this country. I will, I will eviscerate it, uh, intellectually (laughs) because I love it because I love, I love its potential. Same thing with tech. We could be getting clean water into everybody's house by now, mm-hmm. given the brain power and the resources that have gone into getting people food to their door. <laughs> right? In an hour. On demand. Yeah. I'm like, I'm like, okay, that used to be just, I'm 46, almost 47 years old. That used to just be the miracle of dominoes. Mm-hmm. It was just like, they can get you a pizza in under an hour and then under 30 minutes. You're like, woo. Now that's just how we expect our food, which is problematic for a whole other supply chain <laughs> set of reasons. But that's where we put our brain power. We put our brain power on uh, convenience and, oh on solving, and on solving the problems of very few, very wealthy. If I see one very- more damn scooter company. Mm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh my God. Uh, just- and, and, I, and I just, and, and you know what? There are good people inside these companies who think that, who have, who have for some reason believe that they're like changing the world with their scooters. <laughs> and, and I'm like, you know, with that engineering degree, you could be figuring out how to get, you know, grain supplies to places where that have been cut off from access to food secu- from, from access to food security. Mm-hmm. You could use all that fluid mechanics work that you do around. You could. You could. You could. But but but, twenty five years ago, the group of people that figured out how to monetize clicks did not prioritize the most vulnerable. And sure, you can say, well, capitalism isn't about the most vulnerable. All right. First of all, I don't know how I feel about capitalism. That's another story for another day. Oh, yes, yes. That's the conversation I want to get into because I think that's why I'm writing the book. We need to redefine. Capitalism is only a theory. It is how we have how we have implemented it. Just like communism, Marxism, they're all theories. We have implemented them all with white supremacy. That's right. Well, That's centered, centered on whiteness, right? And so when, mm-hmm. when I think folks, white folks get exposure to the way resources flow in other communities, it's shocking. Oh, 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 oh my God. They're, they're taken aback. 
They're like, they're like, you just, so you just paid for my lunch. So then I pay for lunch next time. Right. I'm like, maybe, I don't know. <laughs> I just know I make more money than you right now. So I'm good. Like that just seems to be fair. <laughs> or like uh, in my company, we openly talk about like our budget is very transparent. Mm-hmm. We pay is very transparent. And folks are forthcoming with like what their lives are actually like and what they're trying to navigate. And we're trying to build things like a cap table using the best of the communities we come from, not not what a VC expects via centering whiteness and property ownership. So what's a caps table? So what is the cap table? So Mm -hmm. just divvying up equity among um, our our employees. Um, So how much of the company do they own? Right. So if this if our company takes off in a certain way, what's the upside for, for them? And, and can we be transparent about it? And, and do we think it's fair? And how much more should the leader get, if at all, than the, bo- mm. than the bottom tier, right? Mm. Oh, I yes. mean, yeah. that's, a, that's a question <laughs> because um, there's so much, there's so much ego in those, in, in, the, uh, in the acronym CEO. There's so much ego in that. Oh, please. And, and you know what? I use it very purposefully because I had a boss once who said, oh, you're, you'll never be a CEO. Mm. Mm-hmm. Now, usually consulting companies have managing partners. Mm-hmm. They don't have mm-hmm. CEOs, but I put CEO on there because I hope he sees it. Every day. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, I know you're on Twitter. Exactly. Yeah, you, you see me. my title. You see me, buddy. You yeah, see you me. See I know me. you know where I, know I am. You do. <laughs> yes, you see me because you're lurking. That's what y'all do. You're lurking. <laughs> you want to know what the next cool thing is. Exactly. You. Exactly. Then you'll come out with it. Exactly. Because you're not original as <laughs> any way, way, shape, or form. All you do is co-opt. Yes. <laughs> And still, you know, <laughs> and you just you're just gonna poke your head up when when it's all safe and the yes, smoke clears, yes. and you go, yes, I be, I too believe in yeah. oh, in, yes, in yes, these things. Yes. And I'm like, you know, you took zero risk. <laughs> you took zero risk. The risk was on predominantly black women's backs, then other folks of color. But you're coming out now and being like, yes, I've always believed oh, this. Yeah. Take your five hundred million dollars <laughs> and shove it where? <laughs> shove it where? Where the sun, you know, doesn't necessarily shine. Oh, <laughs> oh but that hurt my feelings. That hurt my. How are you so? You're so rude. You're so. Why are why you can't so we, we can't, Why can't we have a, just a civil conversation? Why? Why lower your voice? <laughs> lower your voice. I'm like, look, I don't want to be yelled at. I'm like, I don't want to be. I don't want to be stolen from. I don't want to be yelled at. I don't want my people to be oppressed. <laughs> I don't want to be yelled and at. That's so equal. <laughs> Oppression so, and yelling is in is in a, is a strict equation. I, I'm like, motherfucker, am I hurting your ears? Like, are your ears oh, bleeding? See, I was that, I'm, and see, I'm that person <laughs> who would get intentionally louder. So when you tell, I've always been that asshole. I can say it. I've always been that. When you told <laughs> Thank me, God for people like when you, you told me something that bothered the fuck out of you, I was just gonna do it more just to irritate the shit out of you <laughs> because you deserve it. Fuck you. <laughs> And I, I'm just realizing why, <laughs> but I, yes, I was definitely that, that key. I was definitely that person. Oh, you don't like that? Oh, but you, oh, okay. Well, let, let's see if you don't like it now. Ah! <laughs> now I'm going to do it when you're not looking. Yes. Let's get shit yes. out of you too. Yeah, I'm going to walk up behind you and scream. Yeah, I'm going to do all kinds of shit. You won't even know when the fuck I'm coming. You're just going to jump out of your shoes. I think, I think before I could turn it to anger, I turned it inward. I think a lot about what you said about the Toni Morrison quote about definitions uh, are about the definer because I have always been told I was emotional. Mm. You're too emotional. 
because, okay, let's just be honest. I feel other people's pain deeply. Mm-hmm. Turns out that's empathy, <laughs> <laughs> which that's I a, didn't know. That's a thing. I, turns out there's a name for it and people generally look upon it kindly. And, and they're like, oh, that's a good thing, you know, to be empathetic. So I'm like, okay, well, let's talk about the pain of the janitorial staff and the fact that you just asked me to accuse them. You just asked me to find out if they were stealing food from you. I feel their pain, mm-hmm. <laughs> but we match brown and brown. And you're going to send me in there and find out and use my Spanish to find out if these people stole food from oh, Yeah, you're the overseer. So, mm-hmm. Oh, my mm-hmm. God. And I just was like, so when I come back and I'm emotional about it, yes, I'm angry. I'm embarrassed for us mm-hmm. on behalf of how we treated these people. Um, and, and truth be told, I didn't really do it. I was like, hey, uh, did you take that food that was in the fridge? They're like, no. I was like, cool. <laughs> <laughs> I came back. I'm like, no, they didn't take mm-hmm. it. Well, it gets better. The, the actual white overseer, turns out he's got cameras everywhere in this office. So he comes back and he goes, no, they did do it. Look, I have it on film. Meanwhile, we're chasing like a $30 deli platter in, a, in, a, in an office that has about a billion dollars of assets. <laughs> and I'm like, is this really, is so this So you got cameras really? fine-tuned to the refrigerator. Fine-tuned to the refrigerator because you know, Feeding just somebody just like, is just a problem. Is Right. And I'm like, uh, you know, we have plenty. How about if we just work into our budget that we, you know, have, offer some food to the people that we, we, pay, we feed everyone else yeah. here lunch. Mm-hmm. This is at night. What if we just like wrapped up a couple of plates for the people who are coming to. Yeah. We bought a few extra oh, ones. Be, be, and, and, and let them. Yeah. Be, people would just look at me like, and I'm like, you don't understand how resources flow in other communities. You do not understand how people will put dimes and nickels together when somebody needs something because they know that the next time it might be their turn to have other people bring their dimes and nickels together. And, okay, and but whiteness is fundamentally not communal. It is not. It's about property ownership. It's not communal. It's not about... I can tell my friends, I have four friends, we call, well, three of us, it's four of us, and we call ourselves the Golden Girls. And I think <laughs> we, at one point... Um, shifted or passed along the same two hundred and fifty dollars to each other through. Yep. Yep. That's um, right. I can't. Can I borrow two hundred fifty? Yep. And then I. And then I mean, we just that for a year we passed that same two hundred fifty dollars around in each other. Yep. And it saved people's yes, lives. Yes. And no one said, "Hey, when you gonna give me that back?" Um, nope. it was. Hey, do you need more? If you need more, can we? Can, hey, can we scrape together some more for this thing right, right here? That's right. I'm so grateful I'm from a community and a family like that. Mm-hmm. We used to have, my sister used to do this thing where, you know, my sister was the first to, to really be financially, one, my little sister was really the first to be very financially um, stable, right, in our family. And so, you know, people went to her for for a while. And, you know, of course, that's what she did. She had this thing where she would she would just make the motion of stirring a pot. And she would be like, it's all the same pot. It's all the same pot. It's all the same pot. Stirred around. She's like, other people are going to get there. You know, we're all going to get there. It's going to be okay. And I really think about that, about her making that motion of stirring the pot because I was like, yeah, in a system, if there are excess resources on one part and insufficient resources in another, 
you shift resources. And this is why we're not talking about fucking equality. We're talking about equity. That is, that is absolutely <laughs> accurate. We're talking about equity. We're talking about my fair share. Am I getting and, a shot? My fair share. And then, I have, and then I have a problem with the word fair because who gets to define what fair is? Mm. It's usually people with power and privilege. That's true. That, that's true. I think that's right. I think... Well, tell me how you how you think about equity because I'm I'm always fascinated. So what I think about equity, I get I gave a um, a good example to one of my clients recently. So I said, um, let's say you're um, there's a food budget and there's a hundred dollars. Both of you get a hundred dollars. Well, <clears throat> you live in a community where you have a you have a car. You have access to quality food. You have access to varieties of food. You have farmer's markets. You have all these kind of things. I am, on the other hand, have no car, have to rely on public transportation, and there is no grocery store that in my, in close to me that matches your quality of food. Right. So when we're talking about equity, for me to have the same quality of food you have, the $100 is not going to, it's not equal to equal. That's right. So I need, enough additional funds to get me in a cab or whatever to get to the store that you go to that I am able to, um, if I need to get a babysitter for my kids while I go to this store that's on the other side of town um, and get back if I don't have the cookware, whatever it is, so that we have the same dining experiences that's equity. Yep. Well, so I like what you I like what you said, and, and I think what I hear is that you say equity is in context. Yes. What I usually talk to my clients about is what is what are you trying to solve for? What is the problem you're trying to solve? And there's that famous cartoon of the boxes and the and the kids looking over the fence to see the to see the the baseball game. Have you ever seen this? Mm-mm, no. Well, we'll 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 I'll send it over to you. Okay, good. Um, I'll maybe share you put it in the show notes. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah um, essentially, it talks about distribution of resources to solve a problem. Mm-hmm. Right. So people hear distribution of resources or redistribution of resources like, oh, my God, the communists are coming. Mm -hmm, Right. mm -hmm. And we're like, no, we're talking about solving. We're talking about articulating the problem you're trying to solve better. Yes. Then it will inform how you distribute resources. So in your example, the problem we're trying to solve for is getting everybody nutritious food in their houses. What does that require? And what I think folks who haven't lived this way don't understand is that there is a high tax on poverty. Yes. There's a high tax on being working class. And I was just thinking about this yesterday because it was really it was raining here in the Bay Area and the traffic was a mess and you know I left my wallet at home and there was just all these like it was just one of those days you know and I'm I'm driving my car and I start to realize five years ago this would have devastated me financially I would have missed a thing I would have lost out on that thing I I wouldn't have known if I had enough gas in my car to make it there and back. My car didn't have the greatest tires. You know what I mean? Like, and mm-hmm. I'd be driving out in the rain. I'm trying not to drive in the rain and the dark. And, the, and I'm, now I'm in this, you know, nice car that is very reliable. All I did was leave my wallet at home. It didn't set a chain reaction. It didn't set off a chain reaction where at the end of it, I'm going to get a mm-hmm. parking ticket mm-hmm. I can't pay for or a, you know, a ding on my license or a... I missed the sale. Like, I think folks really don't understand the level of calculus that goes into being not having resources. So two points that you just made. The first one, I want to go even before that, when you're talking about what problem are you trying to solve? That's where I find the first problem. 
people don't know what damn problem they're trying to solve. And they're the wrong people to solve right. the problem. That's exactly right. And this is why we, this is that's why right. you need diversity because that's about recruitment. That's right. And inclusion is about retention. So yep. you can get them in, but you can't keep them there. So first, that's the, that's the problem there. And I'll take that back to them fucking scooters. Georgia barely yeah. has sidewalks. Why that's the hell right. do we need five different scooter companies um, clogging up where, where wheelchairs have to go Strollers, and everything else? Exactly. Everything. Yeah. So yeah. You're not solving a problem here. But I want to also bring up, so when you just said it's the context, it's like the environment. So I've been talking about these damn boot camps and these ISAs. Um, and someone reached out and he wanted to, um, to tell me that, that they're, you know, I need to be careful about how I put this because the <laughs> ISA people, the, the students need to understand that the, they don't have the, 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 that these schools really don't have the leverage that they're telling them about, blah, 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 blah. And I had to say, stop, 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 stop. I'm going to assume just by hearing your voice and your name that you're a white person. So I'm just going to stop right there because whether it's the ISA, whether they can enforce the ISAs or not, it's the trauma of being threatened by it. All that other stuff that people need mm-hmm. to take into consideration. It is not is about quantitative. Absolutely accurate. Uh, at this point, it's about qualitative. How is the impact of being threatened, even if it's a false threat, impacting your life? And you just hit about that. Like five years ago, you would have had a totally different experience just by leaving your wallet at home. And this is what people aren't understanding. They, th- they want to make things so fucking binary. Life is not binary. We live in shades of gray. There, I can tell you the same thing with me. That $250 my friends and I passed around was life-giving for me. Was life-giving for me. Now, I can I I don't need I, I can have money in my account right now and and forget that I have it in there. That oh my god! For, <laughs> I don't wake up and check my bank account every morning, yes. which is so strange. Yes, so strange. I used to check it three times a day because I'm like, ooh, what went through, right? And we're always saying, what went through? When's payday? What went yes. through? What's when's payday? Yes. And I don't. Yes. not doing that frees up brain space for things like creativity, yes. recreation. I'm doing yes. yoga again. I'm now ready to articulate and to publicly share my need to shift from causing the scene. Currently this work, this push for equity, for minimizing harm, and for prioritizing the most vulnerable is collectively viewed by many as noise, bullying, troublemaking, as contrarian for controversy's sake, rather than what it is, a necessary evolution for the overall health and well-being of those who work for us, partner with us, buy from us, invest in us, and society as a whole. My focus from this day forward is to forge a path to welcoming and psychological safety in systems, institutions, and policies at scale because I will no longer put new wine into old wineskins. My team and I will be spending the next few months making the necessary changes to ensure that my new commitment to doing the proactive work of leading a movement framed by the guiding principles and seen through an anti-racist lens strategically happens with a relaunch on Juneteenth. To be kept informed of our progress, please follow me on Twitter at K-I-M-C-R-A-Y-T-O-N-1, Kim Creighton 1, and on our new Kim Creighton's Community Cafe Discord server. When I started Hashtag Cause a Scene in 2019, it was out of my frustration that no one was listening. Now that you're listening, it's time to get to work. 
Thank you for the years of support, and I'll meet you on the other side. Have a wonderful day. Creativity, recreation. I'm doing yes. yoga again. You're less stress. <laughs> I mean, like, and so it's like it's gets it gets on my nerves, and this is why I get become so fucking obstinate. Is when people want to have these quantitative discussions with me. Quant is fine, but the lived experience, which is qualitative, has more value to me. And until we stop, and but we're in this this tech space that everything's about. They say data, but what they mean is quantum. They want to make data this 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 blanketed thing. No, you're not talking about when you talk about data. You're talking about quantitative numbers and how they. You're not talking about qualitative or even a mixed method, which talks about the lived experience, how those numbers impact the lived experience, and all these other things. You want to be very binary. Life is not binary. <laughs> You know, for a while I was working here in Berkeley um, on a project to close the educational and, and health gaps in, in Berkeley public schools in, in, in the city of Berkeley. And we could predict with ridiculous accuracy how, um, how long a person would live, what they'd likely die of, what their, their educational trajectory was going to be like, how much money they would earn over the course of a lifetime by race, Right. That, that was the thing. And that, and that is, that holds true in the United States and in a lot of the world, followed closely by the socioeconomic status into which you are born, right? But race still persists. Mm -hmm. And when I tell people this, it's data that they really don't want to look at. And I go, but you like data. You like data. Let me show you on this census map. I'm going to overlay just suspensions from school. And you can see them concentrated in a neighborhood, right? Then they say, well, what about, you know, that's, that's a whole poor neighborhood. I'm like, okay, fine. Mm -hmm. what, about, what about black kids who come from, you know, families where they're, they have uh, two professional parents and they live in the hills and whatever, whatever, and their parents went to college. I'm like, they don't go to our schools anymore because the word is out that these schools cannot handle them. So they are going to private schools often in Oakland or in Orinda or in San Francisco that are not our public school system because we cannot figure this out. Mm -hmm. And people would not, they would, they would do mental gymnastics like you couldn't believe, white folks in particular, Just to, to, to go. <sighs> but I would also see it in, in black and brown communities too, like, like where we've oh, yeah. internalized. A internalized white, internalized white right. supremacy and anti-blackness. And, and you know, when yes, I say, when people go, well, our communities... You know, in, in the Latino, in the Latinx community, we have to we have to value education more. I'm like, no, the fuck, we don't. We value education a lot. We value survival uh, yes. above all else. And yes. so, could we please yes. just talk about the context in which this is happening? My parents valued education above all else. It's fine. Yeah, I made it out. Let me tell you what it took. Yes, and I am an infinitesimal tight outlier. Yes. So don't, because they're like, you did it. Yes. And I'm like, do not use me. I am definitely an outlier. <laughs> yeah. Do not use me as your marker. I'm here to tell you, this is the package you would listen to this message in, right? Okay. I'm a middle-aged brown woman and I can tell you what my story was and I can tell you what happened now. Don't use my story as the reason why we're not getting out of poverty. Mm -hmm. Use mm -hmm. the data mm -hmm. and the context to understand that we have a system overlaid on us that is designed for our demise. 
And the fact, and I say this to this, the fact that black women still exist is only because of our own efforts. <laughs> my, my CFO and I, he's a black man from Chicago um, who's been a friend of mine since our college days. Well, actually, I want to take a little detour and t- tell you about how we became friends. So freshman year, uh, we went to, a, to you know, one of those named schools and he, um, he knocks on my door, uh, my dorm door, and my name is on the door. And I open the door and there's this black kid sit, standing there. And he's like, hey, um, I'm so-and-so I'm from, I'm from Chicago. I was like, oh, hey, nice to meet you. He goes, I was just trying to figure out who in this dorm might understand uh, the, what did you say? The confusion I'm feeling right now. And I saw your last name and I thought, I'm going to give it a try because she's probably <laughs> poor like me. <laughs> <laughs> and we've been we've been we've been really tight ever since then because he's like I figured Sanchez I couldn't tell who was black but I could tell that you were probably Mexican I was like you're right so you know we navigated that school together just being to survive just yeah just being overwhelmed by the idea mm-hmm. that you know my joke is always I never knew summer was a verb until I went to this school where do you summer I'm like that's not a that's not a word that's a noun that's not a verb that's a noun where do you summer like uh, uh, at, at the house, I, know, at the, I was like at my grocery store job. I don't like I don't, I don't know, like, know what you mean. And so you know, but we internalize it because we're like, well, look at the two of you. If you did mm-hmm. it, we can do it. I'm like, mm-hmm. no. If I did it, one kid from your school is gonna do it. And this is what pisses me off right now about the Obamas. Oh, they're they're breaking my heart over up. and over and please over. Please shut the fuck up. Breaking God my heart. Damn. You you if you can't own up to the fact that you had to be the epitome of blackness to be in that role, not to make a mistake that the, even when you didn't, they caused them mistakes, and then to turn around, boy, internalize white supremacy and anti-blackness is a thing. It's a drug. That assimilationist is is ooh. Lord, well, my, my community has this. It, I love my people. I love my people. But <laughs> it's funny when you have to preface. I, know, it with I that. love my people. <laughs> I love my people. Um, a couple of years ago, I got really close to um, a student at UC Berkeley who ended up getting picked up by ICE and detained, and I, I helped him basically get released. Um, so. Um, what I learned about his experience once I once he felt like talking about it again um, was that the guards who were the worst to him were the Latino guards. And this is something that if you study prisons and you study, you know, you, you understand about that mm-hmm. internalized thing. And it, it's heartbreaking. He said the first time he saw a Latino mm-hmm. guard, he was like, oh, thank God, maybe somebody who's going to listen to me and, and I can. And no, no, mm-hmm. they were they, mm-hmm. they were more brutal to him he said than any mm-hmm. other than mm-hmm. any other group of guards and that to me is like I don't even know where I, I have to really meditate hard on this one to think about how to tackle that that problem well see for me I don't because it's it's if it's it's as it's whiteness white supremacy as design if you think about slavery the the master slave owner didn't beat slaves they had a black overseer who beat slaves oh, yeah. and were more brutal brutal and 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 mm-hmm. and you know, there's documentation that slaves yeah, would pre- oftentimes refer right. Right. the slave owner to the overseer. Um, and 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 they're put in those roles for a reason. 
They're put in those roles so that the, the, the oppressed individuals can identify, again, representation matters, identify with the, the person, like your, your student, he identified with other Latinx, and yet this, this other person has relative power, relative privilege, even though it's being, is, is given to by whiteness and can be taken mm-hmm. away at any moment by whiteness. Mm-hmm. It's nothing that they own it's only on loan. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and so mm-hmm. it will do anything it can mm-hmm. to hold on to that. Mm-hmm. And it justifies that. Nothing nowadays surprises me. Now, the more I learn, I'm like, oh, it, I'm getting answers. I'm like, oh, now that shit makes sense. <laughs> yes. That's a pattern. Exactly. That's a pattern. It yeah, makes that's sense. a pattern. That's right. I mean, what was uh, Harriet Tubman's quote that was that is still, I think about it probably, at least, I don't know, every few weeks it pops in my head. Um, I freed a lot of slaves. I could have freed a lot more if only they had known they were slaves. Exactly. And that one really, I, I go and back to is, it over and over. This is the one reason uh, that Blacks are not my target audience. Because I recognize and I can deal with, I am a consultant, a business strategist who is trying to educate the oppressor while I'm also processing my own oppression. Same. What I cannot do is process my oppression, somebody else's black oppression and get anything done. That does not scale. That's wow. just too much going on. I, I leave see. that to other folks I see. because mm-hmm. I can't, I can't, when I'm educating the, the oppressor, there are enough of the oppressors that are in power that once they get it, they can use their privilege to mm-hmm. leverage it to change. Mm-hmm. 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 So I, I value my black folks and I give them the support. They, when I get on the stage and I talk about our issues, I'm speaking not for them, but on behalf of them, I'm saying shit that they can't say because they would that's get right. fired. So that's, that's the reason right. I do that. But I cannot do that work and be effective because I also have to deal with my own personal well-being. And so I have to, this is, and working with white people makes it very clear, just like classroom management. These are the lines. I'm the educator and you're the student. I can draw very clear lines in the sand. Um, and so, yeah, I, I totally get it. I, I see it mm-hmm. and I, it breaks my heart. And then I just have to say, you know what, Kim, but that's not your strategy. And that's not, you have to leave that to other Somebody folks. better have that strategy. Yeah. <laughs> I'd like yeah. to, I'd like to find out who, who's working on that in the prison industrial complex and, and help them. <laughs> I mean, and you see that, you see that with um, black uh, police officers uh, being more rooted than white you, police officers. Do you watch Watchmen? Have you been watching? The oh, Washington? no, I can't watch. Uh, no. okay. okay, so this is another thing that saves me. Yeah. If it's not funny or, uh, <laughs> or, or um, like a superhero, I don't. Well, it, do. is a super, I watch, it is a superhero, but it is rooted but it's dark. in. Oh, it's, yes. yeah. It's rooted in yeah, everything no. we're talking about. And it, and, nope, nope. and it is, I really hope every white person in America watch, is watching Watchmen. That's what I really hope. Okay, That's good. what I really yeah. hope. You know, I think about um, how people have done these, again, mental gymnastics around giving white supremacy the benefit of the doubt, or there are fine people on both sides, Mm. or we can't kick them off of our platform because Mm. whatever, whatever. And I'm like, okay, but what Watchmen does so beautifully in my, in my opinion, first of all, it centers Regina King. Yes. Yes. You know, a goddess from above. Mm -hmm. And second of all, it reminds us that the enemy really does, really has its roots in the KKK, really mm-hmm. has it. And the KKK has a, has a relationship with the police force. And let's, let's show us kicking some Nazi and KKK ass <laughs> to remind us all that we used to agree on this. This used to be, this used to be table stakes. Like, yeah, yeah, we hate people yeah. who do that. Yeah. Guess what? Yeah. It's not table stakes anymore. 
And this is why it's so funny because um, I had there was an altercation on Twitter a few weeks ago um, and they boiled it down to the fact that um, I did not like this individual because of a mega hat. Two things. Um, his history of being a dick were, was, was there for everybody to see even before I stepped in. And I make it very clear to you as a black woman. A mega hat is the same thing as a swastika or a KKK to me. I don't see any difference. And I'm not going to sit back and say, is this a good white person with a hook? Nope, not doing that. Because yeah, I'm I, not putting, yeah. that's, and I'm like, yeah. no, no, you're, you're expecting exactly something right. out of me that I'm not going to, I'm not going to do. <laughs> that's right. That, that's exactly, that's exactly right. And I'm like, don't you understand those red hats are nature's way of telling us the danger, danger, danger. <laughs> you want to wear one? You're wearing one to intimidate people. Mm-hmm. Not wearing one out of pride. Exactly. Well, white pride. You're not wearing one because you're like, I love America and I, it's the land of the free and the home of the brave. You're wearing it to intimidate. And then the thing, and then the, the thing that people that I need people in tech to understand why you're coming to the defense of these individuals and saying, well, that's their politics. You need to know that you're a quote unquote friend. If 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 you're in my circle, one to two degrees away from you can be somebody who wants to harm me. So that means you need to be eliminated from my circle. So if you don't, I mean, if you can't deal with that, then I, I don't know what to tell you. Cause I'm not putting, I'm not doing this work to be a fucking martyr at all. Yeah. I'm here to get you paid. Know, I'm here to change uh, the space <laughs> and to get paid. <laughs> you know, my, my people may are often surprised to find out my husband's white and, uh, <laughs> And I, I get his opinion on this stuff just to be like, explain to me what this is like. And so he, he, he talks about, so he, he grew up very poor, Boston, Irish Catholic. Mm-hmm. Um, and what I realized is the way that I grew up, um, Catholic, working class, um, but on the other side of the country was very similar to him. To watch, so let's say we started in a relative, relatively similar point, mm-hmm. right? But to watch, and he's very well aware of, to watch people bend over backwards for his comfort is extraordinary. And he'll look at me like, oh, yeah, I saw that. Did you see that? And the one that gets me every time, which is hilarious. I used to work at a, at a tech company that was a unicorn. And he would come visit me and he would walk in and people would go up to him, like, go out of their way to greet him. And they'd be like, oh, are you new here? Are you a new engineer? What's your deal? How are you? He wouldn't get stopped by security mm-hmm. the same way. He wouldn't, mm-hmm. right? All the benefits of the doubt. And he'd be like, I'm here to visit my wife. And they'd be like, oh, your wife works here? Who is she? And then he would say, and he's like, the faces would just drop. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, you could just see people's faces drop. Like the, the cognitive dissonance yes. and the, the work that they would have to do to be like, wait, what? And so on my staff and, and with, with him, his name's Patrick, you won't be surprised to find out. Um, but we've been talking about new ways of whiteness and that, okay, it's not my job to be like, are you a good white person? Mm-hmm. Hashtag not all white people. How, you know, none of, none of that. There are white folks, which I find really fascinating, seeking to organize with each other to figure out a new way of being white in a pluralistic society, in a society that is going to be very soon majority people of color, how do they, how do they, because you can't change their whiteness, mm-hmm, their literal mm-hmm, whiteness, mm-hmm. what is the model of participation in systems that is not white supremacy? Mm-hmm. And the conversations that I've been privy to as, these, as folks are talking about it is fascinating to me. And I think 
Like it's not my work. It's not my work to do. It's not, I'm not going to put a ton of resources there. That is for, for I think white folks to figure out, but I love this emerging conversation. Cause like there are some folks who want to redefine whiteness because they're, they're living on the other side of it. Too. They're living and, on the other that, side, and that's what I but say, it sucks too. When I say white supremacy is the parasite that's finally eaten on its host. Yeah, that, that, that's right. Yeah. That's and right. No one and the host me, is going, wait a minute, wait a minute, no, wait a no, minute. No one escapes white supremacy unscathed. No one, right. a, absolutely right. no one. And this, I'm so happy you mentioned that because this is a project that I'm, we're working on um, for 2020. It's the Alliance and it's the, anti, um, the tech anti-racist agenda. Uh, yes, exactly. We're building, a, we're building a platform <laughs> where, because we can't have these conversations offline, be, online, because, you know, you get the yeah. assholes interrupting and, right. and they have strategy, they meet. And so we need to learn. And so I'm happy you're saying that because I, and this again, audience is why I say we're at a tipping point. Mm-hmm. You don't see it. But when the most marginalized of us see this happening, we're That's at right. a tipping point. That's right. That's, I absolutely believe that. I am, um, I am a hundred percent with that, with that analysis, because I've been in this sector for a long time. The first job I had doing diversity in any kind of official way in tech was in 1999. Mm. And people used to look at me like I had three heads. Exactly. And they would be, sure. be like, what the fuck are you talking yeah, about? Yeah. Tech is tech. Code is code. Data yep. is data. Mm-hmm. And, I, and I would be like, you know, I actually think because of what I just experienced in college, what I actually think is the definitions are for the definer. Yes. I mean, I didn't say it as articulately as Tony <laughs> Morrison, but, but I was like, nah, you're missing some stuff. And I didn't know what it was because I'm not a technical person by training. I didn't know what it was, but I was like, no, this is going to go wrong. Okay. So I'm going I'm to stop you and I'm going to correct you on this. We use the word technical incorrectly. You have Ooh. different technical skills. Thank they, you. you are very, they, you, they have technical skills related to technology. Mm. You have technical skills related to your domain of expertise. I like that. I like yes, that. we need to I'll stop. Yeah, we need to stop using um, attributing technical only to code and engineers. Oh, I love it. Okay, fine. I'm, deval- I'm deeply technical. Yes, exactly. Because that <laughs> devalues, devalues the work that we do. Yeah, you're right. And, and that's why we don't get resources. That's why we don't get backup. Right. And because no one values it because it's a nice to have and not a requirement. I love it. I love that. All right, I'm a deeply technical person yeah, in my go. area yeah, of expertise, you go. Yeah, you go. Uh, which was not code. Mm-hmm. And, and here's the other thing that I'll say, and I realized that we're going for a little bit over time, but I just want to say I went to college with the people who built this generation of technology and all of its ills. And we were raising red flags mm-hmm. in 1994 saying, this is not going to go well if these are the people that are leading this. Because these are the people who did things like call people, you know, all kinds of epithets, mm-hmm. you know, uh, who used to make school. I, I pause because I, I, I'm just like flashing back. Mm-hmm. Who used to make classrooms difficult for us mm-hmm. and tell us that we were only there because of our race, because of affirmative action, yes. because of whatever. Mm-hmm. These were the same people who went and built the early the, the this past generation yes. of tech what did you think was going to get built exactly in? and so exactly. i feel like i've been i've been yelling for 25 years mm-hmm. exactly 25 years in this year i've been yelling this is not going to go well and i find and i my point is that i want to agree with you that we're at a tipping point because i can feel other people saying it i hear other yes. people saying it and i've never met them before yes and exactly. i'm like okay and everybody's in their own little corners yeah and yeah. when we start coming together Yep. Is when the, yep. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I love it. And I love it. And I love new people who are like, oh, I get this now. It's mm-hmm. clicking for me now. I'm like, yes. great. Come on. Yes. Come along. Yes. It's got to look different. Everything's got to look different from the equity distribution to the code that we're writing, to the problems yes. we're solving, to the investment models, to the and, ownership to, culture, to who, to who we prioritize, to all who, of it, whose safety is more important, whose all comfort is more important. All Every single thing has to be rethought. I'm here for it. All right. So what would you like to say in your final moments? Oh, I just appreciate your voice in the space because I do think that, you know, some days I think I go hard, but then I'll look at your Twitter and I'm like, oh no, Kim's going harder. (laughs) (laughs) And so I just really, I want to say thank you because it matters. And knowing that you're holding that line out there while the rest of us are also trying to figure out our lines to hold, but I can always count on you to just be like, and here's the truth. And then it get it snaps me right back into, yep, that's the truth. Okay, quit quit dancing around it. That's the yes, truth. Call so a thing a thing. Want. Call <laughs> a thing a thing. And so that's why, where I want to end is by thanking you. Well, thank you so much. It, it was well worth the two years and I'm sure. I know, I'm so sorry. That was all my bad. That was all my bad. I just want to own that, no, I am, But see, I'm, that a person who, I'm a person who's learned that the time, when the time is right, the time is right. Time is right now. And so the time is right that both of us are seeing, are coming together because we both see a tipping point. Think about what we can accomplish now that we see the tipping point that we couldn't accomplish two years ago. I agree. I agree. I I, I love doing this work more and more every day. I'm not burnt out. I'm recharged. Yes. I'm not yes. burnt out. And that's what happens <laughs> when you have a strategy yep. and you know where you're going. I'm not doing this for some emotional... Mm-mm. I have a plan. <laughs> I have a plan. I have a plan. I agree. Yes, I have a plan. Yes. And I just, um, I'm so glad you have a plan out there. Well, thank you so much and have a wonderful day. Thanks, Kim. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of the Hashtag Cause the Scene podcast. And I'd like to thank all our current sponsors of the podcast and the Hashtag Cause the Scene movement. Of course, we strongly encourage everyone to become an individual sponsor of the Hashtag Cause the Scene community. Just visit the website at HashtagCauseTheScene.com to sign up today. On behalf of everyone here at Hashtag Cause the Scene, we'd like to thank you again for listening to today's show and have a wonderful day.